Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast, folks out there. Today, you you know already it's a it's a different special episode because I'm talking right now, and it's not the beautiful Karen Hutchinson uh, sharing her beautiful, awesome introduction to this show. So um, I'm just going to get right to it, that today we have a special guest host because Karen is uh, not able to join us today, but Rick Morton, who has been on this show, it is another doctor. So Dr. Rick Morton is joining us. Different doctor, but doctor all the same. So Rick, how the heck are you, man? Man, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate the, the opportunity to sit in with you today and uh, glad that uh, Karen was able to let me do this. So thank yeah, you guys. You, you almost said I'm glad Karen's not here, but that that was not what you meant to say. I'm so truly I'm glad not you glad. caught yourself. I'm truly sad that Karen is not here, but um, but I'm really glad to be here with you. It's definitely bittersweet. Hopefully the audience will think so as well um, and not just bitter. Uh, so, um, you know, Today, we also, we have a, a great uh, guest uh, for the interview. Next week, we're going to uh, have something special for you, too. Rick is going to be with us next week as well. And uh, he and I are just going to have a sit-down conversation that's going to be unscripted. And we're just going to talk and throw some questions at each other. It's going to be a lot of fun. So definitely tune in next week for that as well. But today, we have one of my great friends. He's become one of my great friends actually through this podcast. It's the coolest thing. Jafat Chifamba over in Zimbabwe, one of the best men, most amazing men you'll ever meet if you ever get the privilege to meet this man. Today, you're going to hear a little bit about him, a little bit from him, and you're going to get to know him a little bit in this half hour, and you are going to, you know, you're going to want to book the next flight out to Zimbabwe to meet him. Unfortunately, most of us aren't going to be able to do that, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk anymore right now. I'm just going to put all of us to this interview with Jafat Chifamba. Well, I'm here at Collaborate 2018 at the KFO Summit with Jafat Chifamba, and I'm so excited. Jafat, how the heck are you doing? I'm feeling great. Good to have this conversation. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I know for you, you folks out there who have uh, been following the Think Orphan podcast from the beginning, you, you've probably heard Jafat's name here and there. He's been able to share some questions. We've been able to have some conversations. We've just become good friends over the last year and a half, and uh, I, I just uh, excited for all you out there to get to know Jafat a little bit. So, why don't you start, Jafat? I just sharing your story, where you know, kind of where you where you live, where you came from, what what you're doing, and kind of how you got to be uh, caring for orphan and vulnerable children. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Um, I am Zimbabwean, so I'm from Zimbabwe. Um, my story, if I was going to say the whole thing, it would take forever. So I'll try and summarize it. Um, I grew up in a second largest city in Zimbabwe called Blawayo. Uh, there were three of us, three boys, 66, 67, 68, um, went to Harare for university, that's the capital city. Um, some online, I finished university and I was serving in children's ministry uh, in a poor community called Mbare, that's in Harare. And then with a colleague we served together, I started seeing and hearing stories. Actually, that was my first time 
to know what an orphan is. I didn't know what an orphan is. Um, started hearing stories of um, uh, babies, fetuses being picked from rubbish dumps and things like that. Um, and my friend, this colleague I was serving with, started telling me about children coming to his house, spending the night there because there were issues where they were staying. So, yeah, the story continued. We continued to serve, and now the thing about orphans started becoming a reality. I mean, I have three passions in life, children's ministry, that is evangelizing children, making sure orphans are cared for properly, and teaching other people to do, to do those too. So... Um, Things got a little messed up in my country. Uh, people were leaving. At that time, I was now a university uh, teacher. At the, I teach physiology at the university. So um, friends were saying, why are you still staying in Zimbabwe? Uh, the crunch of it came one day when I was collecting my son from school, and he asked that I buy him ice cream, and I couldn't buy him ice cream. That was just 50 cents, and I didn't have that money. So we decided as a family to leave the country. Uh, but somewhere online, one of my elders um, gave me that there's an organization that is looking for someone to serve as their national director. Um, well, I went home, told my wife about it, and she said, no, <laughs> that's not, yeah. we need to go out of this place. So we actually before we left, I met the leader of the organization, interviewed me and says, look, we love you to serve with us. So we left, went to England, um, but I told my wife, look, I want to go back. I, I loved what those guys told me about. That is, it's an organization that partnered with the local church in providing hope, a family and a future for orphans. Some of I loved that. I yeah. wanted to do that. Absolutely. So I asked my wife whether she wanted this guy who brought in lots of money but was frustrated yeah. with what they were doing. Um, of course, she said she wanted both lots of money <laughs> and some of those. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, convinced her that, look, I wanted to go back to Zimbabwe. Actually, yeah. I left them in England with the rest of my children, two of them, and went back to Zimbabwe. They joined me maybe two weeks later. Cut a long story short, I started serving. Uh, this organization partnered with about 30 different churches, 2,000 plus orphans, mm. some were in residential homes and others it was feeding programs. Okay. Um, my life <laughs> changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I served with this organization for almost 10 years. I was never the same. Um, emotional. I remember my first encounter, it was my first week. I went to a feeding center. I saw these orphans worshiping God. Um, and it just, I remember sobbing and things like that. And But... During the 10 years, I can almost tell you that my life changed. I was passionate about setting up residential homes. Yeah, I mean, right. uh, I was involved in... And when was this? This was... This yeah. was from 2007. Um, 
uh, somewhere in November up to 2016 okay. September. I mean, I I was driving it. I mean, I was so convinced that I was doing the right yeah, thing. Sure. I mean, I uh, we were setting up an average. I mean, I was involved in 15 home, 15 homes. I actually was involved in buying the homes and um, mm-hmm. getting children into the home through the church. Yeah. Um, but some online, I came across some lady, an American missionary, who started challenging me that maybe I was not seeing it the right way. Actually, the residential homes were not the solution to what was happening. Uh, in, in my country, Can we about, just pause there real quick? I want to yeah. ask you... How did she address you with that, and how receptive were you to it at the first time I she mentioned it? I was not receptive at all. I actually thought there was something wrong with her. Uh-huh. I mean, she took three years to get me to where I am today, but I was, I took it as, look, what's wrong with you? I mean, it's like the residential homes were the solution. I mean, I wanted to see mm-hmm. as many children in Right. Um, in these residential places. Um, so how did she first talk to you about it, and what was it that changed you um, from saying you're crazy to, <laughs> oh, you might actually have, there might be some truth to this? Exactly. So um, as a university professor, I mean, you, we like, in medicine, there's evidence-based sure. things. So I was seeing, I mean, I was not seeing the results I wanted to see. Right. I wanted to see these children aging out of the residential places and going to university and doing well. But not just the homes I was responsible for, but other homes, maybe government institutions, because I was connected with the social welfare, so I actually had an idea about what was happening. But I was seeing the cycle of just... Yeah. Creating as soon as the children aged out, the girls got pregnant and the cycle got repeated. So, got to a point where it was frustrating that look, money is being spent, we are doing all this thing, passionate about this, children are being fed, they are going to school, they are, I mean, you're doing everything, they're going to church. And as soon as they aged out of the home, they got pregnant, they repeated the cycle. So some, there was a gap. Yeah. I couldn't connect that. Then some online, I then bumped into another girl who had aged out of an uh, orphanage. Uh, this was a almost government institution. And she said to me, the 12 of them aged out of that institution Half of them committed suicide within a short space of time. Mm. This is girls. And the other half married men much older than them. She was in the process of divorce, but she had just been to a Bible school. So, yeah, my head started ringing and started connecting what this lady was saying to me and what I was seeing on the ground, that there could be a gap. There's something... I was not so she was right. telling you family is important. Yes. And you're like, oh, it's not that important. And then you exactly. saw these results and you thought, wait exactly. a sec. Exactly. Maybe that's what she's and talking she about. And she was emphasizing, emphasizing the issue of trauma that, look, 
Jeffat, you may be doing all this, but you are not addressing the issue of trauma, the psychosocial issues, uh, you know, Luke 252, Jesus growing stature and wisdom in favor with God and favor with man. That there is a gap somewhere. You are not addressing everything of that nature. So, yeah, very difficult, but submitted and... I can tell you my life has never been the same after I realized that. So how do you, what, what, when you realized it, what happened then? So I started trying to share that with my board at the mm-hmm. time, and it was kind of challenging, difficult for them to see. I'm glad that uh, post me they realized that actually there's a side to it. I mean, it's not just providing the basics like education, food, and things like that. But you need to address that. So um, I, yeah, so I changed. And um, I'm now like a driver. I mean, I chaired this organization called Zimbabwe Without Orphans. So I'm now a driver of that we need to address these issues. Um, I mean, of the 1.8 million orphans we have in my country, maybe the highest percentage per capita in the world. Um, 5,000 of them are in orphanages, but the rest are in being taken care of by grandparents and things like that. But my passion is to see that we do the right thing. We just don't uh, feed them, send them to school, drag them to church, but that there's a wholesome approach and... um, yeah, I've been learning this trauma committees and things like that so that other people can find help so that we care for orphans properly. So how are you doing that now? In, so you, you basically have stopped working for that one organization yes. mm. and because they weren't receptive to the ideas, right? Not that they were not receptive, but at the time, maybe that they also thought yes. that they were on the right path, right. they were doing the right thing. Exactly. So good heart. Sure, it was being done off a good heart, but that's not enough. Right. I mean, there is evidence enough for us to change track. So, so the question was, what am I doing, right? Yeah, so how, how now are you engaging people so to what we're fulfill doing the now two passions, three passions you have? Um, to bring in pastors. So we meet, uh, let's say, 12 pastors once a month. So and then share these ideas because those are the people we believe the church is the solution to our orphan crisis mm-hmm. in my country that if the pastors are equipped first of all with the knowledge um, then they can go back to their um, fellowships and challenge their own people as far as uh, fostering and adoption is concerned so that children are in families so we empty orphanages okay so that i mean because right one of the things is the belief is that the orphanages is the solution i mean i I was at some christmas party this past year with one of our political leaders she brought all the orphans and someone there a caregiver was saying uh would like to have land to build orphanages so that's not what we want to see. What we want to see is church leaders driving this thing that children belong in families. Mm-hmm. And um, if we can know six out of ten uh, people go to church on a Sunday in Zimbabwe, 
eight out of ten call themselves Christians. Oh, wow. But we have this many of orphans. So I think what one maybe the reasons are, which is what I believe, is lack of knowledge. Uh, so what right. we have done is another thing is often Sunday we we are driving it in my country and sharing and bringing people who have, let's say, fostered or adopted to um, share with other church members so that um, the whole thing moves. The idea is to equip the church, right. both in the urban and in the rural. Mm-hmm. And um, Lamb International has come and they've taught a number of caregivers, so they go back with the message. So, And we are also working with the government. I mean, the, the laws, we want to see them um, making it easy for people who want to adopt. The current says you must be domiciled in the country. So, But there are many Zimbabweans who are outside may want to adopt, right. but they can't. In the process, we may be one of the only countries where you don't have adoption agencies, that the government is the only one that mm-hmm. does that. And it doesn't cost much. Yeah. The only cost is, I think, something like $10 to go and... Um, get the courts to work on your adoption case. So, working with the government, equipping the government, the social workers, there are problems that they're not as many. We only have, it's almost one social worker to 40 some thousand children. And that's a challenge, but we are hoping as they, that they can recognize church leaders or community leaders as um, partners partners who can work with the social workers so that we can, uh, God helping us fix this problem in our nation. So you have working with the pastors, Mm -hmm. working with the government leaders, hopefully helping them to work together. Yes. Are you conversing with the orphanage directors and the orphanages in the, throughout the country? Is that something that they're open to at this point? See, that is complicated. I mean, going to that level, um, because notice that we have unemployment, which is in excess of 90%. Mm. So, and um, there is money that comes into the country, uh, hearts, people wanting to take care of orphanages. Uh, orphans in the orphanages. So if you have, if you are employed as a caregiver uh, and someone comes and say, look, we would like these children reintegrated in some family, so that may mean I may not have a job. Yeah, right. (laughs) So that won't be taken lightly. So at the moment it's challenging to go directly to the orphanages themselves. Unfortunately, even some of the uh, church leaders who lead orphanages are not receptive to that because in some way it can become as a source of income because of the unemployment that is in the country. But, um, I mean, hopefully something will happen and then people will revisit that. So, But it's not to work with the orphanages, but work it with the church leadership, highest leadership, work with the government so that at least if we can't remove those who are in orphanages, we can stop the inflow into the orphanages so that if a child is orphaned, people look at 
who are where are the foster parents right. who are the adoptive parents so that we stop flow into the orphanages but these children working with the social workers they are taken into families yeah so i want you to speak to the <clears throat> people out there around the world that are working kind of at the front end of trying to talk to people about uh, transitioning from institution residential care to family-based care. What encouragement would you give them today? I think here's the thing, Phil. People have good hearts, mm -hmm. okay? Um, I've seen my Western friends from the U.S., Canada. They have great hearts. In Zimbabwe, you, you find there are also people with good hearts. Mm -hmm. But that is not enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it right. is not enough. Uh, there is enough evidence um, to show that residential has many challenges. So I would like to say the first thing we need to humble ourselves and say, look, because the person who must be priority for all of us, whether we are the donor who's giving the money or we are the recipients, even if there's not enough employment or whatever it is, let's think about the child, this girl, this boy, 20 years, 30 years from today. What is it that we need to do right so that we can have a good outcome, okay? And there's enough evidence. Residential is not the solution. So is it possible that we can work together to strengthen the family units so that children do not go into orphanages? Is it possible that, I mean, it costs my own local church, I mean, we are pumping out something like $3,000 a month to look after six children. Mm. Um, everything is taken care of. But each time I visit those girls, something in me says there is a gap. Mm -hmm. Okay? So it's to sit down. I mean, that's what we are doing to show the leadership that, look, this will not work right. long term. Is it possible that these girls can be in families? Mm -hmm. I mean, with my wife, we're trying to buy land just behind the home where these girls are staying so that we just take the whole lot and right, <laughs> stay right. in our house. But I think if we can get as many of the pastors buying into this. It's, it's not like it was not happening in Zimbabwe. Like I told you earlier right. on that I got to know what an orphan is when I finished university. It's just that the advent of HIV killed between 20 and 45. So those who were parents, right. they were no more. But so the new people who are parents now do not have uh, they don't know that actually, so it's lack of information. Yeah. So if people are, there's advocacy, there's education, uh, even going to the schools and telling the school children that, look, uh, you can actually have somebody right. in your house, you know, who can become a brother, a sister. They don't necessarily have to come out of mom and dad or something right. like that, yeah. So... 
I want to transition and change gears just a little bit mm-hmm. here because I think it's it's related. But you have listened to most, if not all, of the podcast episodes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I just want you to also just share with with the audience. I know obviously people in the audience are listening to this. Yeah. If uh, if they're this far into the episode, they've they've listened <laughs> to a lot, right? Yes. At least at least this interview. Mm-hmm. How have you used the podcast? In your in the work that you've been doing, in your learning, um, and just you know, how would you encourage others to use the podcast uh, to further best practices? So one thing I quickly realized that it's not enough to to just get that listen to that podcast on my own. Mm-hmm. I've tried to share that with my colleagues on Facebook. I've in some way downloaded it and made sure other people hear it. Um, this is, I mean, the breadth and depth of information that you do get if you listen uh, to the podcast. All, all I do is when I'm driving to work, I just plug it mm-hmm. and I play. Right. So you, you, you get to hear the information compressed and to the point. Mm-hmm. So for my own benefit, I've listened to that, but I've also directed some of that information to people I know who are leaders who can influence change wherever it is. So I can't remember, there was one podcast discussion about this transitioning from a residential to family-based care. So it's things like that. So you just send it to a pastor who's responsible for uh, a home and orphanage somewhere and say, Pastor, if it's possible, please find time to listen to right. this. So that's how I have done it. So yeah. Some people want to adopt. So I actually got a text message yesterday, someone saying, look, I'm thinking about this. I actually, that person, I sent them a, a podcast that was related to adoption. So right. it's things like that where... Um, we can use it. I mean, if you, you listen to the, I think they're getting to about 100 now, if there is each time there was a series on human trafficking, I mean, it's a new thing. I mean, that's what, I mean, I enjoyed listening to that series mm-hmm. because it opened my eyes in other things, some of the things I didn't understand. So I think it depends with what information you right. want to get to. There are some people who you'd say, read this book, they may not read, but they're prepared to listen to something. You can say, look, it will take you 20, 30 minutes as you drive to work. Please listen to this. I've given some of the things to my pastor. I've given to some of the leaders, board members of charity organizations that I know. Yeah, that's and that's so encouraging because mm. that's really what the idea that we have for this is, is mm. that it is something that you can use yeah. to share with others when they can get some really just exactly. quick, yeah. quick lesson to be able to help them oh, yeah. along the way and gives you a resource to be able to give to somebody that they might actually list you. Like you said, a book. It's like, who reads books anymore, right? I wrote a book and I say that, right? Um, I, I hope people still are reading books because we're still writing them. But um, I think that the, the reality is to listen to something in 20, 30 minutes exactly. is much more likely that someone will I actually do it. I mean, this is you're driving to work and yeah. you just listen to this podcast and right. I mean, if you want more information, it's it already creates an appetite for you to go and find more information. Right. Yeah. So, real quick, I want you to kind of brag on your wife a little bit and she's, she's starting something up here in a little bit and I want you to just share a little bit about what she's doing and, and how she got inspired to do what she's doing. So, 
Now, it's like a pregnancy crisis center. I mentioned earlier on that some of the girls were in crisis. I didn't mention this, but many years ago, a story came out in one of the local newspapers that a girl had dumped a child. So consecutively, newspapers started publishing, oh, another girl is dumped, another girl is dumped. So it's a crisis. In in an environment where there's lots of poverty, things Mm -hmm. like this do happen, and the shame, I don't have the capacity to look after the, the child. So either you find you hear of stories where babies have been dumped or left at the hospital or whatever. So what they are doing with her friend, they are setting up like a pregnancy crisis center. So initially they want to rent a house. There's already one, the former organization I used to serve in, they have a place like that, but the capacity is limited. They don't want, they can't take more. So the idea is to set up another one where girls who find themselves in this situation, instead of being condemned and doing all sorts of things, they have an option to come and stay in this place. During the time, obviously nine months, they can be helped, they can be thinking through whether they want to give their child so that somebody can take them, or uh, they want to look after them. If they're going to look after their child, what is it that they need to make sure that they don't run into problems? So skills training and things like that. And obviously it has to be done with the blessing of the social welfare department and because there will be these pregnant ladies they are trying to make sure that the uh, medical support will be available and things like that. The idea is just to give these girls an opportunity to do the right thing. Right. That's the yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. Very consistent with your heart and what God's done yeah. with your life is mm-hmm. to help the orphan and vulnerable exactly. in their, <laughs> in their uh, struggles. So that's, that's fantastic. So you know that I'm going to ask you this. So hopefully you're ready for it. Uh, what have you been... What have you read, listened to, or watched recently? I read your book. Wow, yeah. Okay. And you listen to the podcast. What what else have you listened to that... uh, And I've listened to the many Think Often podcasts, and I'm really grateful to the many uh, guys who've spoken there. I mean... I've learned a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm what I am today. I'm still learning. I'm not yet there yet. I'm grateful to that. Um, I've also, I would say, I've read some books on justice. Uh, I don't know the authors. And then there was another book, uh, The Poor Will Be Glad. Mm. I've read Peter that Greer, one. Yeah. Yes. And then the book that actually had more impact was um, When Helping Heads by Brian Fickett. Mm-hmm. I read that too. Um, yeah, but I'm still reading others. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're a learner, more. that's for sure. Yes. Uh, the last question, mm. what one person has had the biggest impact on your thinking about uh, orphan and vulnerable children and how we can love them with excellence? I would start by saying the children themselves when I was serving in this organization. Uh, when I went to this site and I saw these children, um, I think the many of them just melted my heart. Um, 
you know, we put so much value in other things, but when these guys didn't have much, didn't have anything, but they loved Jesus. So that touched me. So I would say the children and then this lady I told you about. um, So now there are two ladies. There's one called um, Regina Chari, then there's Sue Austin. at different times, they've impacted my life uh, as a leader in orphan care. Great. Well, thanks so much, Jafat. And uh, this was uh, such a pleasure and uh, privilege to be able to spend some time with you in person. Thanks, bro. Uh, this was great. <laughs> so, hope we have a great rest of this time here at CAFO. Yes. Thank you. Well, thanks again, Jay Fott, for sharing your wisdom with us, sharing your laughter. Man, that is a contagious laugh if I've ever seen it. That was also such a privilege to be able to do that in person at the KFO Summit. So, Rick, what did you think about that uh, conversation I was able to have with Jay Fott? Man, incredible. Um, just really thankful for the the genuineness, uh, the transparency in, uh, in his comments to you. I, I think that... Uh, really to take us inside the journey of, of really beginning to think of care for vulnerable children differently. Um, and, and the, the idea that, um, you know, part of his story that I really connected with was this idea that he, he didn't have this Damascus road kind of transformation of, of one moment being really committed to institutional care and committed to, to the idea of, of, of really meeting the, the basic, you know, food, clothing and shelter kind of needs for kids. And, and then all of a sudden, like there's this immediate moment where he, he turns a new leaf and says, you know, children belong in families. Um, I mean, his testimony was that it's like three years that, that this interaction happened with this American missionary and, and, you know, just kind of in his thinking. And, And I think that's really reflective of the journey of a lot of us that, um, that we are, we're still in process and we're still, we're still learning and, and, and we're still growing in, in our understanding of, you know, of what is best. And, and I really just appreciate his transparency to say, you know, that this was something that was a conviction that was a long time building for him. But, but once he really came to that conviction and and understood, um, he, he was ready to, you know, ready to change and ready to live on that. Yeah, that's something that really, really struck me as well, you know, and, and uh, so much of this isn't, isn't scripted. And I'm so glad I asked the question of him, you know, how was it? You know, was it, a, was it overnight? You know, I didn't ask it exactly that way. But like you said, three years. And he thought she was crazy at first, she, you know, which I imagine, hopefully you folks out there, that was encouraging to you to, to, to not just give up on one conversation. You know, if you have a conversation with somebody and they appear to reject it, to say, you know what, if you, you know, if you believe in something and it's based on some, some real evidence and some real experience, you know, to really be able to go into to these conversations with confidence that your words will not fall void, your words will not fall flat, and sometimes it may take a really long time, and sometimes it may not be you who the one is who's going to be the final kind of nail in the, in the, in the uh, proverbial coffin, so to speak, of the person's thoughts on any given subject, right? Yeah. You know, and Phil, I think one of the things that, and you know, you and I have talked about this a bunch. I, I think one of the things that we run a real danger in this community of caring for orphan and vulnerable children is we have the tendency to talk past each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have the, we have the tendency to, to live in our silos with people that share our convictions that, 
see the world the way that we see the world, um, that that think a maybe a particular way of caring for children is superior to another way of caring for children. And, and what happens is we stop talking to each other as as a result of that. And, and I think part of the proper humility that, that I, that he really, um, you know, that's one of the things just comes through in the Mm -hmm. genuineness and and the transparency is just this, you know, this, this real, um, you know, just profound humility to say that he, he, he continued to engage in those conversations for three years. He didn't shake the dust off his feet and, you know, and go elsewhere. And it, and it bears testimony as well to the, you know, to the person who, who was talking to him to continue to have, you know, kind and patient conversations. And, and I, I think, you know, all too often we, we become so impassioned because of the dire nature of the things that we're dealing with and the immediacy of the crisis that, that we really forget to be kind and patient with each other. And, and that, that ultimately is not, that's not, that's not healthy for any of us. And it's certainly not reflective of, of kind of the the God-based reason, the gospel-based reason for us to be engaged in this. Yeah, now that's so good. That is so true. And that that's one of the reasons why we're doing this show. I mean, just so that we can have these conversations. And I was actually talking to somebody about it the other day. It's so good for me to be doing these interviews and really listening to the answers and responses. And I know I've talked with people about the podcast too, and it's so good for so much of the audience, so many of you out there that you understand now, like, to actually have to listen without being able to yell back or disagree, or if you disagree, you still are listening to the rest of their conversation, the rest of the argument, so to speak. And that's ha- so often in our world, like you said, we don't even listen to the other side. We don't even listen to things that dis- that we disagree with. And it's my hope and prayer that this this show will really expose us all to things that we do disagree with, um, but to understand why people believe what they believe, because that helps us understand better what we believe. It also challenges us to think about what we believe and really challenge the veracity of what we believe, you know? And so I think that those are things that like you were talking about to, to actually be kind and be gentle in our conversations with people and to be humble and to have compassion. And what does that look like? And what does that really look like Mm -hmm. in a conversation, not just going and doing stuff, but in a conversation, what does it look like to have compassion? What does it look like to truly be empathetic? That's the other thing. I was listening to something the other day that they were talking about. Empathy isn't, isn't like ingrained in us in birth. It's not something you have or don't have. It's something you develop. It's a learned behavior. Mm. And, you know, that was so encouraging to me because <laughs> I'm not the most empathetic man in the world at this point, but I can learn it, right? And that's what I've been right. really trying to do. So, um, you know, before we get into our recommendations, what, what, you know, what are a couple other things that you, that you got out of that? Yeah, I, I think the other thing, and this just, you know, obviously it, it just resonated with my heart, is his, his commitment to the church. Mm. You know, the, the, the fact that, that he... Um, even, uh, you know, immediately upon that change of conviction, where did he go first? He went to, he went to pastors, he went to the church, um, and, and is, is calling, you know, calling the church out. And as a, as an academician, um, you know, maybe that's not the, the first thought of everyone in, you know, in the community, but the realization that, um, that truly because, because of who Christ is, because of, of what Christ has done and because of, um, then what, what has become in the church, like the church is everywhere, right? Like mm-hmm. the, 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 the people that are there to be the answer, um, God has this thing rigged and, and the church is already there and the church is already present. And so, um, to, to not look 
to build structures around the church to not look to you know to try to to try to go around and 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 do things the easier way but but to go back into the church and to to call the church out to be the answer you know and so pressing in and, and using the tools that are you know that are available and I love you know how he you know he talked about even some of the simple things like uh, Orphan Sunday in Zimbabwe and the you know the the idea that 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 has that has taken you know has taken root there and and meaningfully how churches have become engaged. Yeah, you know the one thing about Jafat that really stuck out to me, like you said, his humility, um, and especially it, he's he's not your uh, your typical academic, as you said. He's not the guy <laughs> that is <laughs> cerebral. Um, in in fact, when I when I found out, you know, I, I got to know him because he asked me several questions via email for this podcast, you know, and he, he, when he t- says he, he listened to every single episode, he has listened to every episode. He, in fact, he told me he's listened to each of them twice because, you know, he is a learner and he's a guy who is humble as all get out. And I'll tell you what, like he cares deeply. I think I told the story on this podcast, how cool it is. Like he's become one of my really, really good friends and we've hung out maybe two or three times in person, but you know, and I'll say again, when my son, in fact, I'm going to put this little video on, on the show notes because it was one of the coolest things that shows to, you folks out there, like this shows what one little thing can do for relationship, but what also can do for, you know, kids. Um, my son was getting surgery. I posted on Facebook that he was getting surgery. I had a little picture of him. Two minutes later in my email inbox, I get this email from Jay Fott and it was a video that he made. He basically said to my son, I'm praying for you. I love you. I'm thousands of kilometers away in <laughs> Africa. And he said, you know, I'm praying for you. I love you. Um, and I showed it to my son. And I'll tell you what, that made such, my son's just, his whole demeanor changed. And you know what? That just said to me, I love you. I care about you. And we don't have to be in the same room. We don't have to be in the same country. We don't have to be in the same continent. Um, but we can encourage each other. We can love each other. And, you know, and that was something that, that struck me and told me so much about this man. And that was before I interviewed him. That was before I knew all the details of his life. That was before I knew all the amazing things that God is doing in and through him. So that's hopefully something that will encourage you guys. Um, Rick, I know you probably have a bunch of stories like that with different people that you've been able to get to know around the world. Um, and, you know, hopefully next week we can talk about it. The other thing I just realized is there's some people out there. You might, I know this is hard to believe, Rick, but there might be some people out there who have never heard of you, who don't know I'm about shocked. you. And they may absolute, not have listened to every episode like JFOT has. I'm actually, I'm absolutely shocked, Phil, that there are people yeah. out there that don't, that don't know who I am. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, um, that's totally, um, the way it should be. Right. But, uh, yeah, we Share like uh, a two sec, like a, a, not two, maybe like a 15 second version of who you are. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a husband. I'm an adoptive dad. I have three kids that are adopted from, you know, from Ukraine and have this incredible privilege to work as a part of, um, a, a ministry that is, I think, well-rounded and gospel centered in, uh, in Lifeline Children's Services. And we get the opportunity to do a lot of different things from, adoption to foster care to orphan care around the world to education and counseling and 
resource development and just a whole lot of stuff. And, and I get to be, you know, part of the external presence of that and communicating that to churches and people and uh, bringing people along for the ride. So we uh, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, through the books and the stuff and the jobs and all those kinds of things, um, at the end of the day, I just kind of find myself as a guy with a Bible, you know, who, who read the Bible and, uh, and and took seriously the fact that God has has called us out to care for the vulnerable and to do that in Jesus name and to do that as a picture of what he's done for us in the gospel. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it's a privilege to get to do things like this and to be part of this community with a bunch of people that are shoulder to shoulder, believing the same thing and striving for the same things. Yeah. And I can tell you folks out there, Rick's living it out. He's one of become one of my great friends and, uh, another one of those men that I, uh, am very proud to call friend and brother. And so, well, that is mutual, my friend, yeah. and uh, very, very thankful for you. Well, I, I'm psyched for next week as well for the conversation we're going to have. Um, actually, before we obviously release it next week, but we're going to be able to have a fun conversation. So, folks out there, you know, this is just a little taste. So, if you don't like it, then you don't need to download next week. But hopefully, <laughs> it will be something that you look forward to. We're going to have a fun conversation about things we've been learning things that God's been teaching us and, and, uh, we've been seeing around the world and, and how we can hopefully encourage and, and, uh, challenge folks out there with, with what we've been learning. Hey, but, if they don't like it, they can just turn it on double speed and listen to us like we're chipmunks. So yep. it'll be great. Absolutely. And you can even do triple speed if you have uh, overcast. It's, <laughs> and, and so you can get through it really, really quickly. Um, so, you know, with that, let's get to the recommendations. Usually it's Phil and Dr. Karen recommend today. It's just Phil recommends. Um, Rick is going to be sharing some of the things he's been reading uh, next episode. Um, um, I just gave him one of the unscripted questions that I have for him, so that that gives him a little head start. But <laughs> the book that I found recently, and it was it just caught my eye because I hear the question um, multiple times a day in my house, and the book is called "Wait What," and it's "Wait What," and life's other essential questions, and you know. It's a fantastic book that uh, short, quick read, and it. I'm not, I'm not even going to say a whole lot about it. The five questions, really quickly, are: Wait, what? I wonder uh, if if can't we at least? And the fourth is: How can I help? The fifth is: What matters most? And if you think about those questions and then, and then read this book real quickly, it's actually based on a, a graduation speech. So if you don't have a much patience and you don't really have a long attention span, you can probably Google that that uh, graduation speech as well. But uh, I strongly recommend this book, and I think that it will really make you think and use questions intentionally because I think sometimes we ask questions, but we're not as intentional with them as we could be. And so we can really... Um, you know, he talks about you can change the world with questions, and I agree with that. Um, as long as we're answering them and seeking the real answers for those questions, so that's my recommendation for today. And you know, as I always do, I hope and pray that what you're learning today um, through this episode, what you're hopefully learning through this podcast, what you're learning through what you're reading and listening to and talking to other people in your conversations, that you'll take it and use all of it to help you love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. 
We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. And for all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.